From the Office of the City Auditor in Austin, Texas, this is Redistrict ATX, your place for learning all about the redistricting process. I'm your host, Toppy Ilaitu Odibo. In this episode, we're going to look at the history behind the redistricting process. I'm joined by Ed English, who was involved in making the Independent Citizen Redistricting Commission a reality. Welcome to Redistrict ATX, Ed. Thanks for taking the time to speak to me. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. It's a pleasure. Well, let's get started with a little background about you. Um, Tell us a little about yourself, Ed. Well, I'm a 37-year resident of Austin. I live in north central Austin near Mopac and Palmer. Uh, In fact, even been in the same house for 36 of those 37 years. I had a career in sales and marketing. I was in the military uh, late in the Vietnam years, Uh, got my degree at Texas A&I University, which is now known as Texas A&M Kingsville, and uh, been very politically active over the years. Uh, While I was working, of course, my time was limited, but uh, I retired some number of years ago, and that uh, provided the extra time that I had hoped to find to get more involved in local politics. I'd always had an interest in uh, seeing if the city would move in the direction of single member districts or some form of city government resembling that. And once I had the time to get involved, I, uh, I did so. So speaking of getting involved, you and some others were part of what's called AGR, Austinites for Geographic Representation. Tell us about this group, who was involved and what was your goal? Well, it was a very, very diverse group, and that was key to the entire program and effort being successful. Uh, We had, uh, to speak uh, to or name a few specific individuals, uh, we had Peck Young, Linda Curtis, Nelson Linder, Bill Elshire, Art Obert. Uh, The list is pretty long, and I'm sure I'll never remember all those names, but uh, far beyond that, and what was critical was to have a great deal of support citywide from a very, very diverse group of people, different neighborhoods, ethnicities, income levels, uh, geographic preferences. Uh, It was quite a combination citywide of a wide variety of of interest and and backgrounds. That's great. Um, And so you mentioned previously that you were hoping the city would move towards a single member district. Where did this idea of geographic representation in single member districts come from? And why was it important to have that happen in 2013 or 2012, I guess? Well, I'll answer that kind of from, from two different perspectives. Uh, one, uh, personally, uh, I have thought as I uh, lived here over the years, uh, starting back in 83, that as the city grew, uh, the uh, all-at-large system that we had in place Uh, slowly but surely became less and less representative of the city as a whole. Uh, That particular type of uh, city government, all at large, is well suited for a smaller city. But uh, as the city got bigger and bigger, the difficulty in finding folks who could afford to run uh, a citywide campaign for an all at large system began to limit the number of individuals who could actually do that. And we ended up with um, a fairly uh, wealthy, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that, (laughs) but a fairly wealthy group of people uh, being eligible to run, all living fairly close to uh, the center of the city in fairly affluent neighborhoods. And as the city got larger and larger, I think it just became incumbent upon uh, us to look at a form of government 
which uh, was a more diverse and represented a wider range of interest. Uh, the idea for it was had actually been around for many, many years. The election that we were able to uh, get to single member district passed uh, was actually the sixth attempt. <laughs> a lot of people didn't know that, but the uh, the the idea of some form of geographic representation or single member districts had been around for 20 years and uh, had uh, failed six times prior to the election in uh, 2012 where it passed. So it had been around for a while and the uh, actual uh, nuts and bolts of what was on the ballot in 2012 was put together by the Charter Review Commission, which was assembled to look at ways to improve the charter. And one of their primary focuses was to look at a possible change in city structure, government structure. So clearly you guys faced some challenges if it took six times um, to, to get it to become a reality. What other challenges did you um, face trying to make this idea of geographic representation a reality? Well, it takes time. And so uh, time time can be your friend or your enemy. And uh, once we decided that, uh, and I'm, I'm speaking of the core group that assembled to try and get a 10-1 system, or it was simply known as a single member district system at the time. We didn't know precisely at the time whether or not 10 districts was going to be the case, but uh, that seemed like an inevitable outcome. But we had to, uh, in, in what would you might consider to be a reasonable amount of time, we had to assemble uh, quite a group of supporters uh, from all across the city who were going to be willing to reach out to their neighborhoods, their friends, explain the idea, the advantages, uh, get people willing to uh, grab a clipboard and a pen, go out, get petition signatures. And uh, it, it's, not an, it's not an easy task. Uh, you have a lot of uh, diverse interest out there. Uh, but I think we had uh, some, some great selling points and uh, the, the city as a whole responded to that. So I think probably the biggest challenge was making uh, the city aware, the activists within the city aware of the fact of what we were attempting to do, gather their support and their commitment to stick with it. We knew it was going to take a lot of time and a lot of work. Uh, we also needed some financial support. Uh, and just putting those those pieces of the puzzle together uh, takes time and takes a lot of hard work. And, and we were we were very pleasantly surprised that support came from all corners, more than we would have expected in an incredibly diverse group of people. And, and this whole process, as you mentioned, is now laid out in the charter on how the commissioners will be selected. How did the Austinites for Geographic Representation design this process? And where did all the criteria for elig eligibility come from? Well, most of it came from various models that we looked at. California models, as they were often referred to, where similar transitions from one form of city government to another had taken place. So the the shell, if you will, for what to do, how to do, uh, what the processes were going to be, what kind of uh, elements were going to be required to make the system work, make it fair, make it representative. A lot of that, that was already in place. Uh, we looked at those. Uh, I will quickly admit that most of that work was done before I came on board, but we, we looked at those and we adapted those where necessary uh, to make them, to tweak them, to make them a little more appropriate for Texas and the city of Austin. Uh, and 
along with that, uh, you have to look at the size of the city, how many districts would be required, what type of uh, elements of the Department of Justice uh, Voting Rights Act you're going to have to comply with, and, and all of that goes into it. So there were, there were a lot of considerations. The Charter Commission did a great deal of that work. Um, most of that was done by the time we reached the petition phase. But uh, uh, the biggest bulk of the structure came from various California models that were looked at. Okay. So 2013 was the first time that we went through this process. How did, how did you think it went? You know, I, I, I can't say en- enough positive about that. Uh, I think all of us were that were intimately involved from very early on were expecting a lot of challenges and a lot of difficulties that just didn't didn't appear. Uh, one of the things that I, I really like to compliment the auditor's department on at the time, they uh, not just embraced the concept and followed the letter of the law, they followed the spirit of our intentions. Uh, I thought the advertising that was done to make um, auditors aware of the fact that they were needed at the earliest part of the process, that citizen involvement was going to be necessary, that we were going to need commissioners. Uh, I thought the process uh, for a first attempt uh, went amazingly well. And I would say that even if uh, the same process had been fo- followed, say, on the fifth or sixth redrawing, it would have been amazing. We, we just thought that we would probably run into more uh, glitches and hit more bumps in the road than we did. I thought it came off, the process came off extraordinarily well. And one of the things that, uh, and, and I'm looking not just at the uh, the selection of the auditors and the selection of the commissioners, but one of the things that was just absolutely amazing is that we were able to go through the process and uh, never were legally challenged uh, in a state where lawsuits over district lines are commonplace. I think a lot of people expected at some point or after completion of the process that we would be sued by somebody. There would be somebody out there that felt so strongly that something went wrong with the process uh, that it would be stopped with a legal challenge. That didn't happen. And that was that was amazing, <laughs> given, given the fact that, that that's a rarity. So I thought the entire process from start to finish went amazingly well. Oh, that's great. That's good. That's very good to hear Um, because we're back at it. We're doing it again. It's 2020 um, and this is going to continue into 2021 for the second time Austinites will be able to draw the district boundaries. Do you have any lessons learned from 2013? And then what are you excited about for the second time? Well, there are some lessons learned. Uh, One uh, and I think these will also be somewhat self-correcting or self-occurring uh, uh, based upon the fact that citizens now have uh, about seven years of experience, six to be more precise, of dealing with council boundary lines. Uh, one of the, there, there are several lessons to be learned. Uh, one, the, pr- the process has to be incredibly transparent. And I think the first attempt uh, was usually successful in that regard. Uh, the auditor's office and later when the initial group of commissioners were selected, they complete the process of selecting the the other commissioners, was very transparent. Uh, Mm -hmm. There were many, many opportunities for citizens to observe the process, to comment on the process. I think it's absolutely critical if you're going to do do it again and and, and establish the kind of credibility that you need with uh, the citizens. 
you have to have incredible transparency. So uh, we did well that time. I think that will occur again. Uh, also, uh, citizen involvement in the process, uh, not only uh, deciding whether or not they might want to be commissioners on the Independent Citizens Redistricting Commission, but actually participating in the hearings, the public hearings where uh, comments are solicited regarding the drawing of the district lines. Uh, I think I think we're going to have a slightly different group of people because more citizens, like I said earlier, more citizens are now aware of district lines, uh, council members, uh, how the process proceeds. I think a lot of people were just kind of uh, really coming forward with sort of gut feelings and gut ideas and initial considerations the first time because we had no experience to go off of. That would not be the case now. And I think there are some other things that that um, we need to make sure the public is aware of. You can't just draw lines anywhere you want. Uh, there, the Department of Justice and the Voting Rights Act largely determine the boundary lines that the process has to stay within. And I think probably one of the more obvious considerations is balancing out the uh, number of citizens within each district. You have to stay close to a median point. You can't deviate too far from that. So you have a very large, a large, very populous district and a, and a smaller, very sparsely populated district. But beyond that, uh, you have to comply with the regulations which maintain an opportunity for the minorities within the city to have a reasonable opportunity to elect a minority. Um, I, I don't think a lot of people the first time around realized that because I think that was probably one of the more uh, frequent questions that I got is, why can't we move this line here? Why can't we move this line there? Um, yeah. the, the council districts that we have now, districts one, two, three, and four, what are called minority opportunity districts, and they had to be drawn first uh, to meet uh, Department of Justice regulations. And I think because we did that so well, that's one of the reasons why the process was not challenged legally. Obviously, right now, there's a lot going on in the world, and specifically in Austin, a lot of challenges, and um, a lot of Austinites' attentions are really divided um, in different directions. So from you, Ed, what do you, what do you think that Austinites should take away from this process? Why should they care about redistricting, and why should they get involved? Well, I think they should care, and they shouldn't get involved for a number of different reasons. Uh, this particular form of uh, city governmental structure allows, uh, at least it, it encourages and provides a somewhat better opportunity for citizens to be more directly involved in the selection of their council member. I think one of the misconceptions of um, the process of converting to single member districts when we did this the first time with, this, with the boundaries and the council members that we have now is that somehow by some form of magic, it was going to fix all of Austin's problems. That's not what single member districts do. The idea behind it is relatively straightforward, that you have a smaller section of the city as opposed to the city as a whole to elect someone from. So you hopefully have someone that is more familiar with the neighborhoods, the, 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 the challenges that those neighborhoods face, the things that they do well, their needs, you have someone that's more tuned in and also much more accountable. You have a specific council member that you can go to with concerns and questions and add comments. I think that's absolutely vital in the, time, the times that we face today where you have 
a much more direct link to someone who's representing you on the city council. And I, I hope people take advantage of that. Running for office, getting elected, uh, there are certain elements of that that never change. Uh, but the hope is that with uh, smaller districts rather than a citywide effort, people who may have felt that it was impossible to get elected for a number of different reasons in the all-at-large system might step up and say, you know what, I think the opportunity to run for office and, and win is there. And I want to go for it because I have a deep concern for my area of the city and I want to make sure that that I step up and represent those views. Uh, I, I really hope people take that to heart. Uh, I know I'm very politically active <laughs> and uh, I know that sometimes people get a little disenchanted and a little little frustrated sometimes uh, with uh, the the challenges that the city and their neighborhoods face. And I encourage people to to step up and take those challenges on. Uh, that's what that's what city government is about, and that's uh, that was our hope with the single member district system that we have uh, someone closer to neighborhoods and communities actually sitting on that council. So uh, please. Uh, if I if I have a request that uh, I couldn't be more sincere about, uh, I, I encourage people to run for office. And if it's not you, recruit someone from your neighborhood, uh, from that knows the area that that genuinely represents it, uh, and and support them, encourage them, support them, help them build a campaign. I think that's vital to maintaining uh, the the and and reaching the goals that a single member district system has in front of it and can be reached with with sufficient citizen involvement. Absolutely. Thank you so much for uh, speaking with us about redistricting and where this all came from. I know that I learned something new today. Thanks for listening to this episode of Redistrict ATX. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for news information and much more about Austin's redistricting process. You can also visit our website to learn more about redistricting at redistrictatx.org. And make sure you subscribe to this podcast on Spotify and iTunes so you never miss an episode.